This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. Yes, we had an awesome missions trip a couple weeks ago. 40 of our church members went on that trip, and just some amazing, amazing things happened. So I brought Pastor Ashley up here. Pastor Ashley's over our missions programs and all the missions work that we do here at New Song Church. She's amazing, and I wanted her to just share a few of the stories from the trip with you. So, Pastor Ashley, take it over. Okay. Now, it's always such a privilege and honor to be able to go and work alongside a local church that's doing the work on the the ground before we come and after we leave. So we had the 40 of us that were coming in, prayed up, ready to be the hands and feet, working alongside a local church that is prayed up, ready to be the hands and feet. But at that point, it becomes God's job to move. It's not us, it's Him. And sometimes the Holy Spirit works in subtle ways, but this was not one of those weeks at all. Um, He moved mightily. On Monday, we got to take a small team to a prison there, and you could just feel that the atmosphere was downcast, very broken. As much as these men are in chains in the sense that they are, you know, stuck in a prison, you could see the chains all over them, that they were looking at the ground. They weren't willing to look up. And as the minute the word was ministered, you could just feel the Holy Spirit wanting to do something there. And the pastor said, stop looking down. That's where the devil is. Look up. The Lord is here. And just the freedom of the Holy Spirit broke out. And these men were all praising the Lord and finding him for themselves and kind of coming back home. Uh, That night, we got to go on a street outreach and to kind of paint you a picture, this is where it's like a tent meeting. And so we went door to door inviting people to come. And as we were inviting, there were people who were just ready. They were ready right there on the spot to give their lives to Jesus and say, you know what? You came all the way from Oklahoma. I feel like the Lord's talking to me and I want to get saved right now. So then we have this tent meeting. There's a man there who is under demonic influence and the Holy Spirit just moved to, to instruct, he needs to be quiet. And he was quieted. And then as we pressed in, the Holy Spirit, again, he moved, this boldness came out, and 12 people between the kids and the adults came to know Jesus as their Savior. The next day, we had people going door-to-door again, and somebody had had a vision about crutches, that there's going to be someone with crutches, you need to just pay attention, there's going to be someone with crutches. So we come up to a house, our team does, and there's a woman, and her husband comes out in tears on crutches, and she was saved, and she had been praying for about 20 years for him to be saved, and this day, he was like, God sent you here. How can I ignore him any longer? And he got saved. The next day, we had a team night with, um, or a kids night, where we were planning for and praying for 50 kids in the community to come, and 80 showed up. And so all these times where we kept seeing how the Lord brought more and more people in. Uh, On Thursday, when we went to the dump, um, as you saw the footage there, there was a little boy who lives there at the dump. He's probably 10, and he was so not wanting to receive the Lord. His heart was so hardened. And we just remembered, you know, sometimes you plant and someone else waters. So as we continue talking to people, there's this other guy who was older, who wanted to be saved, gave his life to the Lord. Well, it turns out he's the big brother of that 10-year-old. And God gave someone a vision to say, I can see that little boy running in heaven, and we're going to meet him in heaven one day because his brother is now going to bring him to Jesus. And then lastly, whenever you pour out, it's amazing because the Lord always meets you. 
you, you come and you say, I'm going to be the hands and feet, but he never leaves you dry. He never leaves you empty. So we had this team hour where we just prayed as a team and the Holy Spirit again showed up. He moved. People started having words for each other. Uh, the stories of prodigals are going to come back home in families, things that people didn't even know that they really needed freedom for, breaking off of them. We had somebody on our team who had had a shattered foot and he had been there not complaining. He'd been shattered for 10 months, slowly healing. And that day, the Lord said, there's an anointing for healing. And his foot was completely healed. Come on. And we saw Come so on, much. church. Um, and then this school. One of the things we did yeah. the whole week was construct this school. And um, and what's special, someone in the on the team as we were leaving, said the Lord gave me a picture that this school is not big enough to hold all the kids that are going to come, and we're going to have to come back and help them build more buildings for it. So amazing. So many stories. In fact, our, our team, our, some of our team is going to be here in the lobby this weekend. They have on the same shirt Ashley has on because we just simply didn't have time to basically say all that God is doing. But we're, they're going to be out there. If you'd like to hear more about the missions trip, go up to them and just say, hey, share some of the stories. Tell me what God did. Uh, we'd love to just share with you what God's doing. And I also just want to say thank you to all of you who went, all of you who gave. Uh, in fact, one of the things she, she talked about it, we were able to fully fund a school that's being built in Puerto Penasco, a Christian school that's being built there. In fact, we got to break ground on it, which I thought was kind of funny. Sarah was, she sent me this picture of her putting a shovel in the ground, which I don't know that Sarah's ever shoveled a day in her life. And she she had on like sandals while she's doing this and stuff. And she's told me she was very nervous about it, but but man, God is so good, and 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 I just want to encourage you, uh, as we, we, you know, we're going to be a church that continues to do missions work. That's who we're called to be. We're not just called to this city, to this community. We're called to the world. And so, as we continue to do this stuff in the days and years ahead, I want to encourage you to get on board with us in giving, get on board with us in going, and uh, let's continue to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Hey, would you give Ashley a hand as she goes right now? Thank you. Thank you. So blessed to have her leading our team. She has such a great, incredible heart for missions work. We're very blessed by her. Hey, we're going to do something else really cool real quick, and that is we are going to plant some new members here at New Song Church. So if you are that group of people that's being planted, go ahead and start making your way into the auditorium right now. Church, let's give these guys a hand as they come up. Something that's so awesome that we get to do is setting people in. We believe that those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. Yeah, you can go ahead and make your way. Will flourish in the courts of their God. We believe that you need the home court advantage of being planted in a church. And so these guys have gone through Next Steps, which is our online kind of like, uh, what, do, what do we call membership it? Class. Membership class. That's the word I was looking for. And uh, it's how you, you learn more about who we are as a church, where, we, where we're going as a church, what we, where we've gone as a church, and how to get on board with that. So if you don't know about that, check that out. You can go through it in just a couple of classes and learn all about our church and then get planted like this. And so I got Sarah up here with me. We're going to set these guys in as members of our church. So look, this is, these are, this is a part of our family. Like we're, we're getting some new family members today. This is exciting. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to lead you guys in some uh, covenant professions this morning. I'm going to say some things that are in agreement and alignment with where we're going and what we're doing as a church. And uh, you're going to respond to those with either I have, I will, or I do. And many of you are already members, so this is a great reminder to you of what you've agreed to do. And for those who haven't, uh, you can get on board with this as well, all right? So have you made 
an authentic profession of faith in Jesus Christ? If so, say, I have. Will you commit to engage in personal worship, obey the teachings of Scripture, and regularly fellowship with followers of Jesus? If so, say, I will. Will you commit to protecting the peace and purity of the church by acting in love, promoting unity, refusing to gossip, and pursuing biblical reconciliation? If so, say, I will. Will you support the worship and practices of the church by attempting to faithfully pray for and attend the weekend services, partake in communion, and move towards the practice of generosity through regular giving? If so, say, I will. Will you commit to serving in and reinforcing the mission of the church by using your spiritual gifts to serve the church and community? If so, say, I will. You guys are, you guys are, stay with me now. Stay with me. Keep that energy up. You're drifting. You're drifting. Let's go. Have you read and understand New Song's statement of beliefs and agree to joyfully support the leadership, vision, mission, and values of New Song Church? If so, say, I have. I have. There we go. Do you understand that the above commitments can't be maintained without relying on the Holy Spirit to work in your life and without certain commitments on your part? If so, say, I do. I do. New Song Church, would you help me welcome the newest members of our church family? And then, if you would, extend your hand toward them right now. We're going to pray over them. Sarah, would you lead us? Yes, I'd like to pray this liturgy for moving into a new home. And it applies so well to uh, making uh, a, a church your new church home. So, Lord, we pray that your spirit would inhabit this church home making of it a sanctuary where hearts and lives are knit together, where bonds of love are strengthened, where mercy is learned and practiced. May this church home be a harbor of anchorage and refuge and a haven from which we journey forth to do your work in your world. May this home be a garden of nourishment in which our roots go deep, that we might bear fruit for the nourishing of others. May this, our new home, be a place of knowing and of being known, a place of shared tears and laughter, a place where forgiveness is easily asked and granted and wounds are quickly healed, a place of meaningful conversation, of words not left unsaid, a place of joining, of becoming, of creating and reflecting, a place where our diverse gifts are named and appreciated, where we learn to serve one another and to serve our neighbors as well, a place where our stories are forever twined by true affections. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right, thank you guys so much. Let's give them another big hand. And then you guys follow Pastor Courtney there. She's gonna lead you out of here. If you guys would, go ahead and get your Bibles out. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11, Judges chapter 13. Thank you, Pastor Sarah. You look good, by the way. (laughs) We are in week three of a series called By Faith. Somebody say, By Faith. Faith. And we are looking at these characters in Scripture who rose up in faith to do great things for God. That they were people who, instead of shrinking back in fear, they rose up in faith. Now, let me remind you what we've been talking about throughout this series, that they were not perfect people. They were flawed people. They made mistakes just like you and I do. But, but when it came down to it, there were moments in their life when they were willing to stand up by faith and to trust God. That's what faith is. It's trust in God. To trust God, believe God, to take Him at His word and move based on what He said, not based on the circumstances and fear and maybe some of the feelings that they were having in the moment. 
But they were flawed people. In fact, if you read Hebrews 11 and you start looking at each one of these individuals, I'm not going to get into all the details because we're going to be going through a lot of these, these characters over the next several weeks, and you're going to hear about their flaws. They were flawed people. They made some massive mistakes, which is good news because we make mistakes, don't we? Don't you, church, you make mistakes? None of us are perfect. We make mistakes. But, but yet they were willing to rise up. And the character that we're going to look at today is, uh, is a very flawed character. In fact, last week, you know, we talked about Noah. Noah was a righteous man. And today we're going to look at the life of Samson. And Samson was a very unrighteous dude. Samson made a lot of mistakes. Now, when I was a kid, I was fascinated by Samson. Like any young boys raised in church, like you thought Samson was pretty cool. Like I, I remember I had this little Bible. Guys, throw that up there. This is the, the picture Bible that I had. Anybody, any 80s kids remember this Bible? Anybody have this? This hardback Bible with the gold leaf in it. But, but inside it had these, these illustrations, like the stories, but there was these illustrations of these different characters. And I remember, I remember vividly sitting on the steps of our little house in Broken Arrow and, and looking at these pictures of Samson and just being like, dude, this is goals. Like this, this is what I want. Because Samson, he's almost like the superhero of the Bible, right? Like the guy does some stuff that's just not normal. Like non-normal stuff this guy's doing. Uh, there, like there's a story of, of him fighting a lion and the Bible says that he like rips this lion apart with his bare hands. That's not normal. People don't do that. There's, a, there's another story where uh, he takes uh, these city gates, these huge city gates. I think we got a picture here. These, these massive city gates. He's just carrying them off. Look at the guy. It looks impressive. There's another story where he takes, he fights a, a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Not necessarily the weapon of choice when, when up against a thousand men. And yet he takes this, it says the fresh jawbone of a donkey. I don't know why that mattered. It was fresh. I don't know if he ripped it out of some donkey's face or whatever, but he's got this fresh jawbone of a donkey and he slays a thousand Philistines. Non-normal stuff. There's this other occasion where at the end of his life, he stands between these two pillars and he pushes and the walls come crashing down. I mean, come on guys, look at him. Dude is not skipping leg day, back day, any day. And so I would look at this and just be like, man, this, this guy, you know, there's a reason why they make superhero movies because there's something in us that's drawn to seeing people do stuff that's not like normal, like that's beyond what we normally would be able to do. And so I was, I was very uh, engaged and very attracted to this life of Samson, I wanted to be like him until I began to read and study his life and discovered that he is, he's not a hero at all. In fact, Samson's story is really a sad story. It's a story of a guy who has incredible potential and is, is very enabled by God and yet falls really short of being who it is that God called him to be. This guy, John Bloom, says it like this. I think he summed it up pretty good. Samson's story reads like a narcissistic superhero whose kryptonite weakness does him in in the end. When you read the story of Samson, there's not a whole lot of redeeming qualities about his life. He was a terrible son. He was a terrible husband. He's just pretty much a terrible guy for the most part. Uh, he, he, he was just driven by his desires and his wants. He, he had fits of anger and rage. He was arrogant. He was a sex addict. Like He's just a guy that chased after his cravings, went after them with everything he had, and yet he's in Hebrews 11. We find him in the text in Hebrews 11 alongside of all these great characters of faith. Let me, let me show you this. Hebrews 11, verse 32 
Now, we've been reading in Hebrews 11 up to this point about all these characters, and it's giving us details of what they did and how they did it. And then it starts to just kind of machine gun, rapid fire off names and lists of things that were accomplished. It says this, what more shall I say? Time is too short for me to tell you about Gideon, Barak, and here he is, Samson. It goes on to say this in verse 33, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle and put foreign armies to flight by faith. So Samson was very flawed, made a lot of mistakes, but he rose up in faith. And what I want to do today is I want to look at his life and I want us to, to learn some lessons from this man. Some of the lessons, a lot of the lessons are going to be what not to do, but also what to do and how to come back to God when we've made some mistakes. So to do that, we're going to go to Judges chapter 13. If you want to turn there, and as you turn there, I'm going to pray over this word today. Lord, I pray that your word would go forth and that would accomplish the purpose for which it was sent, Lord. As I've studied to show myself approved and, and, and worked hard to put this together, Lord, by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, as I've prayed over this message, Lord, I pray that now it would go forth to your people. And like a seed, it would find a place of rest in their hearts and their minds. It would draw people to conviction. It would draw people to the love of God. It would draw people to repentance where we need to repent. Lord, I pray that your word would work and that it would move and that people would not get an impartation from a person but they would receive an impartation from the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we say, come. We say, have your way in this place. We thank you for what you're going to do. We give you all the glory and the honor and the praise because you are worthy. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Judges 13, the story of Samson starts with a woman who can't have children. Verse 2, a certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her. And, and so, you know, when you see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, it's speaking to pre-incarnate Jesus. So this is Jesus appearing to this woman. He said, you are barren, childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. You can't have babies, but you're going to have babies. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because, notice this, the boy is to be a Nazarite. I'll explain a little bit more what that is in a little bit. Dedicated to God from the womb. So notice he's dedicated, he's called to a purpose, and he's called to this purpose from the womb. And that's why it speaks to you, the mom, don't drink any fermented wine, uh, don't, don't, don't do these things because he's called to a purpose, he's set apart. And you're going to see more of that as we look at the Nazarite vow. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And just like the angel of the Lord, Jesus says, nine months later, this lady gives birth to this little baby boy and she names him Samson. And Samson is born with a purpose, just like you. When you made Jesus the Lord of your life, you were born again and you were born again with a purpose. You were born with a call on your life. And if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. With the call comes consecration. That's how it works when we're doing stuff according to the kingdom of God. With the call of God on our life comes consecration. Consecration means that we've been set apart for a special purpose. That with the, you made, when you made Jesus Lord of your life, you've been set apart by God for a special unique purpose, a unique gifting. And so we see this. We, we talked about this a little bit last week with Noah. Noah had a purpose and it called him to live different. 
Same is true with Samson. Samson has a purpose, and in order for him to fulfill this purpose, God calls him to live different. He calls him to be a Nazarite. Now, I'm not going to get into all the details of what it means to be a Nazarite. You can study this in Numbers chapter 6 if you want to look at this this week. Uh, but, but in order to live the Nazarite vow, it meant he was going to have to live different than the world around him. The Nazarite vow was not just don't shave your head. That's the part a lot of us know. But it was more than that. It was also that he wasn't to touch anything unclean. So like he couldn't touch a dead body or be around dead stuff. He wasn't supposed to do that. Um, he wasn't supposed to eat anything unclean. So he was supposed to, to eat at a different level than other people. He's supposed to eat kosher and eat things that were proper for Hebrew people. Um, he wasn't supposed to, to drink any wine or eat anything from the grapevine. So no grapes, no raisins. No fermented drinks. So it's not just don't shave your head, and then it's not just a bunch of random stuff. It's actually, he's being called to live at a different standard of living, a different way of living than the world around him. And I imagine there was probably some moment in Samson's life when he came to his mom and he probably asked the question, why? Right? Like, hopefully, if you're raising your kids to love the Lord and to follow the ways of God, you're going to have a moment when your kids come to you and they say, Hey, Dad, everybody else does this. Why don't we get to do this? Because we don't live like everybody else. And so Samson probably comes to his mom and says, Mom, everybody else does this. Why can't I do these things? And I'm guessing that his mom probably sat him down and said, Listen, I, I couldn't have babies. And then God who's rich in mercy, gave me you. And you're a gift, and your life is a gift, and I don't, I don't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. But it was a gift. And with this gift of your life, God called you to a purpose and a calling. And so we don't, we don't, you don't do stuff like everybody else does because you have a special assignment on your life, a special purpose on your life. And I believe if Samson was here today, he would look at you today and he'd say, hey, this life that you've been given in Jesus Christ this grace that you've been extended through Jesus, through his blood that he sacrificed for you, you didn't earn it and you don't deserve it, but it's a free gift he's given to you. And with this new life he's given you is a new purpose, a new calling to live different than the world around you. See, we don't have a Nazarite vow that we're called to live under, but we are called to a special purpose. We're called to live a consecrated life. In fact, the Bible says this. It says that we've been sanctified by the blood of Jesus. That word sanctified means that we've been set apart for a unique purpose for God. Listen, if you've made Jesus Lord of your life, you have been set apart for a unique purpose by God. And so we live into that. But it's important that you understand this. Within this unique purpose, your obedience to walk in the ways of the Lord affects your ability to walk in the power of God for your purpose. Like Because you're called to this different standard, you can't live like everybody else. And if you do, it's going to affect your ability to experience the power of God, the help of God, the strength of God in your purpose. Yes, God's called you to a purpose, and he wants to empower you in your purpose, but your empowerment is dependent upon how you live your life. How you live matters. And so here's Samson. He's got this unique calling on his life, and he has this power on his life. Now, understand this. The power that Samson had was not just this power that he had in his muscles. Like, he wasn't just powerful because the dude was yoked. Like, that was not the case. This power that he had on his life was actually the powerment, the empowerment of God on his life. In fact, later on in the story, there's a moment where these Philistine leaders 
come to Delilah and they're trying to get Samson. They're trying to find out the secret of Samson's strength. Well, if the secret of his strength is just he's more jacked than everybody else, then they know the secret of his strength. But the fact that they're asking the question means there's something on this guy's life that causes him to be different than everybody else. You with me today, church? And so they see this on his life. And and here's what you see. As you read the story of, of Samson, you're going to notice before he does like these incredible things, these things that we look at and we go, man, it was like a, it was like a superhero what he just accomplished. So this is not normal stuff. Before he would do that, many times in the text it says, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Let me show you. Judges 14, 6, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. Judges 14, 19, then the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 of their men. Judges 15, 14, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Samson had this incredible power on his life and that power was the spirit of the Lord coming powerfully upon him. It was the spirit of God. Now, when it speaks to this word spirit in the story of Samson in the Old Testament, It's the Hebrew word ruach. It means the wind of God. It means the breath of God. In the New Testament, that same idea, the spirit of God, is the word pneuma, which means the wind of God or the breath of God. And Jesus told us that if we're going to accomplish the purpose he sent us into this world to accomplish, we need the spirit of God to come powerfully upon us. Look at this, Matthew 28, verse 19. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what word spirit there is the word pneuma. It means the wind of God. It's the breath of God. It's the empowerment of God. It's, listen, it's the same power that Samson had resting on his life. Later on, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, for this commission that I'm giving you, I want you to go and I want you to fulfill it. But before you do, I want you to wait because you're going to need something in order to do it. You're going to need the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's going to enable you to do it. He says this in Acts 1, verse 4, and being assembled together with them, he, that's talking about Jesus, commanded them. Notice that language. He commanded them. He didn't say, hey, I got a suggestion for you. No, he said, I command you not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. So Jesus had been talking to them about this this Holy Spirit, this helper that he's going to give them. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's the pneuma, that's the wind of God, that's the breath of God, that's the, that's the ruach of God, that's the same power that Samson had resting on his life. It says in verse 8, and you will receive power. We're talking about power, right? Yeah. We're talking about power. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit, the wind of God, the breath of God, the ruach of God, the same power Samson had, comes Upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here's what you see the same power that rested on Samson's life that will that would that would come powerfully upon him to enable him to fulfill his purpose is the same power that God wants to rest on your life. Now that doesn't mean that you're gonna get filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and now you can rip a lion in half. Why? Because that's not your assignment. 
That was Samson's assignment. His assignment was to wage war and battle against the Philistines. That's not your assignment. But what God will do is he will empower you with the, with the Holy Spirit for your assignment. So he'll empower you the Holy Spirit so you can be the mom you're called to be. So you can be the father you're called to be. So you can be the husband or the wife or the leader or so you can overcome the sins that are overcoming you. He'll empower you with the Holy Spirit to enable you to do what you need to do. Someone say amen. amen. This is good news. We've got some power on our side. But understand this, again, your obedience to walk in the ways of the Lord affects your ability to walk in the power of God in your assignment. And what can happen so often is we allow the cravings of our flesh to pull us away from the calling on our life. This is how God put it to me this week. You can chase your cravings or you can chase your calling, but you cannot chase both. And if you chase your cravings, it'll be the death of your calling. But if you'll chase after your calling and you'll chase after the Lord, it could be the death of your cravings that are pulling you away from the Lord. John Tyson says this, whatever you crave will consume you. And that's what we see in the life of Samson. We see this guy who starts off with incredible potential. He's got a purpose. He's got a calling. He's empowered by God. But, but man, it doesn't take very long. And we see this guy start drifting totally away from the Lord. Judges 16, look at this verse with me. This is interesting. One day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. Notice he saw, his vision saw her. Look at what happens. He went in to spend the night with her. And this is a running theme in the life of Samson. Samson has an eye problem. This is how God put it to me this week. Samson had an eye problem and Samson had an eye problem. Samson was so focused on himself that it caused his vision to, to drift away from the Lord and God's calling on his life towards the things of this world. And what Samson came to believe is, I believe God will bless me in my calling, but I don't believe that God will satisfy me in my longings. I don't think I could find joy and, and fulfillment in God, so I'll chase after that in the world. And so he began to start making compromises and he began to start drifting further, further away from the call of God in his life. And eventually he got hooked by sin. Not too long after we see this story where he goes in with a prostitute, we're introduced to this character called Delilah. Now we don't know, theologians don't know if Delilah was the prostitute, but here's what we know about Delilah. Delilah is a picture of sin. And what we see is he got hooked by this sin. The longer he messed around with sin, the more it got his, it, its hooks in him and pulled him away from his purpose, from his calling, from the life God was inviting him to and wanting him to walk in. It says in Judges 16, 4, he fell in love with a woman. That was Delilah. You know, what happens is you don't fall in love with Delilah. Like you don't find yourself going and seeing the prostitute and going to the prostitute, like that doesn't happen overnight. There's a bunch of little compromises. There's a bunch of little steps that are taken that lead you further and further away. In fact, I found this today. Sarah showed me this today in our Being Transformed journal reading today. One of the commentaries said this. This is so good. It talks about how sin affects you. These sins that we participate in, these sins that, that we know are wrong, right? So here's a little bit of how this progression works. When we know better, it's this, that kind of sin. It's the sin that friends have warned us about. It's the sin that God himself has warned us about. It's the sin that we've warned others about. 
It's the sin that we plan and we relish in. These kind of sins, what do they do? Here's what they do. It goes from a passing temptation to a chosen thought. It goes from a chosen thought to an object of meditation. It goes from an object of meditation to wished for fulfillment. It goes from wished for fulfillment to planned action. It goes from planned action to opportunity sought. It goes from opportunity sought to performed act. It goes from performed act to repeated action. It goes from repeated action to delight. It goes from, to, 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 from delight to new and various ways. In other words, new and various ways of participating in it. It goes from new and various ways to a habit. It goes from habit to idolatry, demanding to be served. It goes from idolatry to sacrifice. It goes from sacrifice to slavery. Some of you, you're somewhere on this path right now. And here's my call to you today. Repent. Get off the path. Because whether you're in step one or step 10, just so you know, it's going to lead to you being a slave. Sin wants to make you a slave. It wants to get its hooks in you. And you got to be quick to repent and quick to step off this path. So Samson is hooked by sin. Delilah, who's this picture of sin, has her hooks in this guy. And, and so the Philistines, which, by the way, the Philistines are a picture of Satan, the works of the, dark, the darkness, the kingdom of darkness. The Philistines come to Delilah and they say, hey, we'd like to use you to get to Samson. Would you go to him and figure out what the secret of his, of his strength is? And they come to there and say, there's five of these Philistine leaders. And they say, each one of us is going to give you 1,100 shekels. So 5,500 shekels. This is the equivalent in today's money of $14 million. That's an extravagant amount of money, isn't it? Why? Because Samson was an extravagant problem. And here's what you need to understand. When you called according to the purpose of God, are empowered in your purpose, walking in that purpose, you are an extravagant problem to the kingdom of darkness. And so you better believe that the enemy is going to use whatever means necessary to try to draw you away from your purpose and get his hooks in you so he can stop you from being who it is you, you're called to be. And so these guys come to Delilah. And what Samson doesn't know about Delilah is that Delilah is a gold digger. Or really, she's a silver digger. And so she comes to, to Samson and she asks him this question that actually Sarah asked me just the other day. Verse six, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Fairly normal conversation in my house. No, that's not normal conversation for anybody, just so you know. And I remember as a kid, like being like, amazed by Samson, thinking he was really cool, but also reading this part of the story or knowing this part of the story and being like, dude, what's wrong with you? Like the really buff, stupid guy, apparently, because from here, we see them doing this dance where like she's trying to find out the secret to his strength and Samson tells her stuff that's not true. And then she immediately goes out and does it. Okay. So think about this. Imagine someone comes up to you and say, Hey, what's the secret of your strength? And you say, well, if you put pudding in my head, I lose my strength. You wake up the next day with pudding on your head. Guess what? They tried it. <laughs> right. And that's what we see in the story here. And yet Samson continues to mess around with this girl. Like he doesn't immediately go, Hey, get out of my life. You're trying to pull me down. Why? Here's why. Take a notes, write this down. Sin makes you stupid. Look at the person beside you and say, sin's making you stupid. 
Some of you said that aggressively. <laughs> so they, they do this little dance where she's like, tell me the secret. He tells her the wrong thing. She tries it and they go back and forth and pick up at verse 15. And this is crazy. She said to him, how can you say I love you? How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. You're making me look like an idiot in front of all the Philistines. I keep telling the secret. It doesn't work. You're making me look dumb. Anybody else reading this and going, what is wrong with this guy? Sin makes you stupid. She's a picture of sin. Now look at verse 16. With such nagging, she prodded him. This is how sin works. Keeps coming. Keeps nagging. Keeps prodding. Keeps pushing. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. Tell me. Do this. Do this. Day after day until he was sick to death with it. Verse 17. So he told her everything. Like he does the unthinkable. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. Sin makes you stupid. And I believe this. I believe that Samson came to believe the lies that he was living in. See, what's interesting about the life of Samson is if you don't know the story of Samson, you think that he gets his head shaved and he makes one mistake and everything goes away. That's really not the case. Remember, he was called to be a Nazarite. The Nazarite vow was more than just don't shave your head. And at this point in the story, he's basically done everything but that. There, there's one occasion where he goes, and, and the Bible tells, says he goes to like this Philistine, basically this Philistine party that's like a seven-day-long party. This, if you know anything about the Philistine culture, this was basically a drunken orgy for seven days. There's another occasion where he goes to uh, the Valley of Tamara. Tamara was known for its grape groves and wine producing, and he's there for days. Why is he there? He's there eating grapes, drinking wine, breaking his Nazarite vow. There's another occasion. You know the story. He kills the lion, right? Well, he goes back to the lion later on, and he pulls honey out of this lion. The lion is, a, is an unclean, dead animal. He's not supposed to be touching it. He touches it, and he eats of it. He eats something unclean. Like Basically, by the time we get here, Samson has broken every one of his Nazarite vows. This is the only thing he hasn't done at this point. And I believe that as he's doing this, what Samson comes to believe is two things. Number one, it doesn't matter how I live. And number two, this power, my power, is my power. I can do whatever I want. Because he's seen, I've been still able to do what I want to do. And he begins to mistake the mercy of God for the approval of God. God is merciful. God is rich in mercy. And sometimes God, because he's so rich in mercy, will continue to be able to operate and function within our calling without feeling the wages of sin hit us. But over time, you need to understand, the Spirit of God is going to leave if you keep doing this. You're going to lose your power. It says this in verse 19, Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head in her lap. This is how sin works. It lulls you to sleep. We, find, we, we get to the point where he gets comfortable in it. Think about this. He knows what she's going to do. She's done it every other time. He just doesn't care. Because I think he believes that it doesn't matter. It's my power. I can do whatever I want. This is, this is all me. 
Charles Spurgeon says this, it is to be feared that many believers lose their strength as Samson lost his locks while sleeping on the lap of carnal security. So he's curled up in the lap of sin. It goes on to say this, and then she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. In this way, she began to bring him down. Sin will bring you down. And look at this, his strength left him. What left him? The Spirit of God. Verse 20, then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, look at this, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. I'll just do what I always do. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. The Spirit of the Lord. What it was empowering him to do, what he was doing, was no longer with him. So the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. They took him to Garza, where he was bound. Notice he loses his eyes. Remember we talked about how he had an eye problem? Now what's happened is this, this, these lies that he's, become, he's began to believe, where his vision has been so blurred spiritually now, he, he's experiencing that reality in his physical eyes. He's blind. It says he's bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. Watchman Nee says this, an affection which is not inspired by the Lord will soon be transformed into lust. Samson is not alone in the history of man in the falling in this regard. Delilah is still cutting the hair of man today. Sin is still bringing people down, stealing people's strength, taking away purpose all the time. So you need to understand something. That sin that you mess around with, however big or small it may be, that you continue to participate in and mess around with and walk in, and you understand you stay in that, it's going to get its hooks in you. And eventually, you're going to be blind and you're going to be bound, and you're going to miss the power of God to fulfill your assignment. In John chapter 1, we're given some insight into how the Spirit of God rests on a Christian, rests on a life. John the Baptist is getting ready to baptize Jesus, and it says this, verse 32, And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit, this time about the Holy Spirit, descending from heaven like a dove. Notice that, like a dove. Now, that's not saying the Holy Spirit is a dove, but it's saying the nature of how the Holy Spirit rests on a life is similar to the nature of how a dove would rest or how a dove would live. And it says, and he continued, and the, the Holy Spirit, he remained, in other words, stayed there. So the Holy Spirit came and rested on Jesus. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and, here it is again, remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So we're, we're, we're kind of given this insight into the nature of how the Holy Spirit rests on a life. And, and we're told that the Holy Spirit rests on a life like a dove rests. Now, if you study doves, doves are interesting birds. Uh, doves are kind of unlike any other birds that exist. Um, doves are very sensitive birds. Doves can be shooed away very easily. Doves cannot be trained. You can't train a dove to do tricks. They, they, they're just not that way. Doves are comfortable where they're comfortable. And if they're not comfortable, they fly away. This is the nature of a dove. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit rests on a life like a dove, which means that there's a sensitivity we see there with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So it tells us that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. And I'll think about that for a moment. When we are grieving someone, 
Why do we grieve? We grieve because there's someone that we had a relationship with and that relationship becomes broken and we can no longer connect with them like we once did. So the Holy Spirit becomes grieved because he, he, he loves you, wants to connect with you, wants to help you, but something happens that breaks that connection. What happens? Well, read Ephesians 4. Read the verses before verse 30 and after verse 30. All of them are about sin. See, sin shoes away the Holy Spirit. Notice it says that when the Holy Spirit landed on Jesus, he remained. Why did he remain? Jesus never sinned. So he found a resting place on Jesus where he could remain. But here's what I want you to see. When you continue to engage in sin and sinful behavior that you know is wrong, from this moment on in the future, I want you to see yourself doing this. Here's what you're doing. You're saying to the Holy Spirit, shoo, get away. I don't want you here. I want to do what I want to do. And then what do we do? We say, well, like Samson, now I need you. I'm just going to do what I always do. What we don't know is there'll be that moment where we go and the Holy Spirit ain't there. Now listen, God says he'll never leave you or forsake you. It's not that he leaves you. It's that the power and the help and the aid and the connection is broken so he can't be with you like he wants to be. He can't move in power in your life like he wants to when we continue to operate in sin. I heard a story one time about this couple who moved to Israel to be missionaries in Jerusalem. And they were sent by their denomination. They were given a house to live in and they arrive at this house. And when they get there, there was a dove in one of the eaves of the home, like had made his, his home at this, at this house. And so they get there and they're like, oh my gosh, this is like a sign from God. Like the Holy Spirit, the, the dove is resting on our home. But then they began to notice something as they lived in that home. They noticed that that dove would fly off if they got a little too, too loud. They were slamming doors in the house, the dove would fly away. If they started arguing, the dove would fly away. And so one time the husband comes to his wife and he says, hey, have you noticed like if we get a little too loud in the house, the dove leaves? Or if we're arguing and fighting, the dove leaves. And his wife said, yeah, I have noticed that. And my concern is that the dove is going to leave and go never come back. She said, so I think that either we adjust, we adjust to the dove or the dove adjusts to us. Now, here's my point. So you know, the Holy Spirit is not going to adjust to your sin. So what that means is you need to make some adjustments. Now, here's the good news. The moment that you choose to make those adjustments, guess who will help you with them? The Holy Spirit. But if you've got some sin in your life and you're not dealing with it, you know, understand it's going to hurt you. It's going to keep you. Your obedience to walk in the ways of the Lord affects your ability to walk in the power of God for your purpose. And when you continue to walk in sin, you're shooing away the Spirit of God. R.T. Kendall uh, was once talking to a young pastor. This guy came to him and he's asking him, hey, what do, what do I do? Like, how, What advice would you give me as a young pastor? R.T. Kendall said this to him. He says, find out what grieves the Holy Spirit and don't do that. <laughs> Good advice. Good advice because you need the help of the Holy Spirit. You need the Spirit of God to come on you in power and to enable you for what God's called you to do. If you're going to walk in the purposes of God and the calling of God like He's called you to, to bring about His kingdom work in your life, in your family, in your home, if you want to see the blessing of God resting on your life, then you have to pay attention to how you live your life. Sin will hurt you. 
Nancy Lita Moss says this, sin is more dangerous than wild bears, more deadly than blazing forest fires. Ask Nebuchadnezzar who lost his mind because he refused to deal with his pride. Ask Samson who was reduced to a pathetic shred of a man because he never got control over the lust of his flesh. Ask Achan and Ananias and Sapphira who lost their lives over small secret sins. Spurgeon says this, as long as he is consecrated, he is strong. So this idea, as long as the believer, the one who's called according to a purpose, lives out that purpose, as long as you do that, there's a strength for you. Break that, he is weak as water. Now there are a thousand, there are a thousand razors with which the devil can shave off the locks of a consecrated man without his knowing it. Samson is sound asleep. So clever is the barber that he even lulls him to sleep as, he, as his fingers move across the pate, the fool's pate, which he is making bare. The devil is cleverer far than even the skillful barber. He can shave the believer's locks while he scarcely knows it. Maybe you're here today and you know there's a place, like you find yourself on that path that I read earlier, where you've accepted some sin, you're participating in something. And listen, I'm not just talking about like you're, you're an adulterer or you're looking at pornography or you're cheating on your spouse or you're robbing your company of millions of dollars. I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about you, you're jealous. You got envy in your heart. You're walking in unforgiveness. Wherever you find yourself, I want to encourage you, repent and to turn from your sin. And here's the good news. If you'll do it, God can use you. You say, man, I made a lot of mistakes. That's okay. So did Samson. Samson made a lot of mistakes. But here's the thing. What put Samson in Hebrews 11 is what he does at the end of his life. What is Hebrews 11 about? By faith. At the end of his life, if you know the story, Samson is brought into this party. And there's all these, these people celebrating the fact that we've captured Samson. And they're also celebrating the fact that our God is greater than the God of the Israelites. And they're celebrating this and they're making fun of Samson. And Samson in that moment calls to God. And, and, and understand, this is the by faith moment for Samson because up to this point, he's believed this is my own power. This is just me. This is my own strength. Now he's lost all of that. And so he's believing in this moment, God, can you use me once again? And so it's interesting. The Bible says that there's this little child, this little boy who leads him and just so you know, if you're coming out of sin and, you're, and you want to be used in your purpose again, you're probably going to need some help. God wants to put some people beside you to help lead you in this season. That's what the church is here to do. And this little boy helps him. He leads him up to this place and Samson begins to push on these pillars. Now understand he could have pushed and he's believing by faith because he hasn't had the power. But right now he's believing as I do this, God's going to empower me once again in the purpose. Even though I've made mistakes, even though I messed up, even though I've done a lot wrong, I believe that God can still use me. And God does. It says in verse 30, And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people, so he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. Here's the point. God can still use you. Beth Moore says this, If you're still drawing breath, God's not done with you yet. I hope you're breathing today. I hope you're not dead in the room. I really, really do. <laughs> that would be weird. And if you are, and you, you are, God's not done with you yet. You can still step into your purpose. You say, oh, I've turned away from God. That's okay. He still loves you. 
The blood of Jesus is greater than the, than the, the greatest sin you could ever produce. The work that Jesus did on the cross is far greater than the work of your mistakes. And if you'll believe and you'll turn to the Lord and call out to God, He can take you and He can empower you and He can strengthen you and walk with you and begin to help you to move back into the purpose He's called you to walk in in your life. Here's the message today. And I know this is one of those quiet messages where we're doing a lot of reflecting today, but here's the call of the day. Here's what God told me to tell you. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's available. It's within reach. But some of you need to repent. And, and the Holy Spirit's drawing you to conviction today. The Holy Spirit's calling on you today. And He's pulling on you today. And He's inviting you to make some changes. And you know you need to make those changes. And again, it, it doesn't mean that you're... It may be today that you're the person, man, you've, you've got some big stuff and you know you need to deal with this stuff. You need to repent of this stuff. But it may mean today that you're just some little stuff. But you know that that little stuff, if you don't deal with it, it's going to keep, it's going to get its hooks in you deeper and deeper. And it's going to pull you further and further away. And eventually you're going to find yourself like Samson did, blind and bound and without the power of God in your life. The call is to Repent. So I'm going to invite our prayer team to come down at this time. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to be bold and by faith, be willing to say, I need prayer. I believe that God is drawing hearts right now to conviction. If there's something in your, in your mind, in your heart right now that you're going, ah, oh, that jealousy, that envy, that lust, that thing, I need, to, I need to confess it. And when I say confess it, I'm asking you to truly repent to take steps. Like, I'm not talking about getting your car on the way home and to yourself quietly say, Father, would you, I confess my sin, you're faithful and just forgive me, and sin and cleanse me, righteous, please forgive me. Listen, a lot of times that's just us getting stuff off our conscience because we know God will forgive us. And let me ask you something is that working? <laughs> I remember a season in my life where I was living that way, kept confessing to God, but I wouldn't get nowhere until I started confessing to other people. Hey, I struggle in this area. Hey, I'm weak in this area. I need help in this area. The Bible says we confess our faults one to another that we may be healed. There's a healing that comes with being willing to come down and say, hey, I'm struggling with sin. I'm struggling with lust. I'm struggling with envy. I'm struggling with anger. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not 10 steps down the road, but maybe I'm, 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 I'm on the beginning of a journey that the enemy is, is using something to pull me away from God, to pull me away from my purpose. I'm inviting you. And here's what I'm excited about. When God put this in my heart to call you to repentance, I got excited. You know why? Because you know what's on the other side of repentance? Another word that starts with R, revival. And I believe God wants to bring about revival. You look at all the great revivals. They, they, they were born out of people getting face down before the Lord and saying, I'm sorry, I've made mistakes. I want to turn from this. And I'm willing to get real about it. Confess our faults one to another. I'm going to invite you to stand if you would, church. And even right now, if, if you sense the Holy Spirit drawing you, listen, we all need prayer. Can we admit that? Can we admit we all make mistakes? You coming down here doesn't mean you're the worst person in the world. It means you're a person who's walking by faith and willing to say, I want to be right with God. And, and I think this, I think you can't over-repent. <laughs> like, let's be people who are quick to repent. I would rather be a person who is quick to repent, quick
quick to say I'm sorry than a person who holds that back from a God who's made it so possible for me to be forgiven and me to be right with Him. You with me, church? So if that's you, if you sense the Spirit of God drawing on you, there's something going on in your mind. You're going, oh, that's my thing. That's the deal. That's the issue. I, I need to deal with it. I need to confess it. I need to, I need to repent today. If that's you, I want to encourage you to start making your way down to the altars. And church, for those who are coming down, for those of you who are still standing, I want you to start praying with me right now. Lord, we speak against pride right now in Jesus' name. Church, would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you. We, we pray against pride that would keep people from being willing to step out and receive prayer and receive the forgiveness that you so freely offer. Lord, I thank you that there's people in this room right now, that they're, 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 they're shooing you right now, even right now. You're, you're saying, would you, would you come? Would you repent? We don't want to be people who say, Holy Spirit, I want to hear that right now. We're not going to shoo you away. We're going to listen. We're going to move because we believe you have more for us. We believe you want to do more. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do out of this. I thank you for the revival that you want to bring about in this church, in this house. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We welcome you, Lord. I'm telling you, I know there's someone in here and you're really afraid. What are they going to say? What are they going to think? Don't let that keep you from what God wants to do. You want to be free. This is how you get free. Thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you draw all people to step out in faith to receive all that you have for them today. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.